dismissed. And uh, are there clipboards? Yes. Okay, those ages uh, six to nine, is that right? Okay, can get clipboards. morning. So last time I preached from Psalm 139, and there's some definite tie-ins through that um, as I was going through chapter 19. I was seeing some things there. So we're going to be in Psalm chapter 19. We're going to look at verses 1 through 14. Um, as we go through this, you should notice there are sort of two major themes here. And we in the first six verses, we have what is referred to as the general revelation of God. <clears throat> this is what anybody, it is generally revealed, anybody can see it. It's just observations. Um, and then in the second half, verses 7 through, it's sort of verses 7 through 11, but it carries through the very end. But it is a special revelation of God. This is where God has spoken. He has communed directly his intentions. Um, and so you see that in, in the first half through nature, and in the second half is in God is communicated through the scriptures. So we'll go ahead and I'll read through this, starting in Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So this is a, a beautiful passage. It covers so many things that are obvious to us in nature and things that truth about God's word. Um, so let's just start out in verse 1 here. And this is, again, like, we were, like I had said in Psalm 139, this is 
and we have that little note at the very beginning. It says, to the choir master, a psalm of David. So this was a song, psalm that was meant to be sung. Um, I'm not going to uh, please your ears with my attempts at that right now. <laughs> but we start out in verse 1. We have the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. I thought it was interesting that he used heavens in the beginning and then sky above in the in the second one they're like why why not use the same word um and there was debate as i went through different commentaries about like well maybe the heavens means the sky you can see and the sky means the stars or the dome of the earth you know when you look up at the sky you see it looks almost rounded at when you look up there but i think drawing from the context of what follows it seems he's almost using heavens and sky to be interchangeably, right? Because he goes on and talks about what he sees up in the sky. He sees the sun, he sees, he sees the stars um, in the heavens, right? So this is when you look up, is what I would get at, is you go out and you look up, and what do you see, right? You see wonderful things if you take the time to observe and take it in, um, beautiful things that we are still trying to comprehend. You know, we have telescopes that we send far out into outer space to take pictures of things further away than we could ever see. They send back amazing images, right? We're still determining this. And David has none of those tools at his disposal. His ability is to go out, look up at the sky, right? And you notice in those verses that there's... The adjectives that are used, right? It says the heavens declare the glory of God. And it says the sky above proclaims his handiwork, right? It is not a quiet thing. It is declared. It is proclaimed. It is said loudly as you look up and you see it. It is not hidden from you. Um, in that passage in Romans 1 that I read earlier, it said, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Right? It's, scripture tells us it is obvious that there is a God. We have those who try to deny it, but as you just go out and look, it is clear. Um, I've often heard it said, you see creation you know there's a creator. When you see things that are obviously created, it is obvious that there was somebody who made it. Um, but it says that they declare the glory of God, right? They proclaim his handiwork. They are done to glorify God. Like, not only do they reveal to us that there is a God, but the beauty of them shows us the glory of God. It's how amazing are these things? Well, if those are amazing, think of the one who made them. How much more amazing. Uh, they glorify him in that. So, and it also talks about the sky declaring his handiwork. Uh, this is a, a big word in anthropomorphism. It's applying a human trait to a god right to God it is something that we understand amongst ourselves that we say well this is God's handiwork right it's that you look at construction and you can recognize different skill sets when Josh and I work on a job 
you can tell what he's done and you can tell what I've done. I like to think what I've done is looking more and more like what he's done, but there's still a difference. We have handiwork. You can, you can identify it. The, when you look out and you look up, what you see is the work of God. It is his handiwork. In verse 2 it says, Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. Now if you jump ahead to verse 3, it says there is no speech. You say, well, what kind of contradiction is that, right? It says there is speech, but then it says there is no speech. But if you, verse 3 goes on, it says, there are no words whose voice is not heard. So it is a speaking without actually speaking. It is the plainness of it. It is the obviousness of it. It is there. You cannot deny it. Um, And I like the way it says, day to day it pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. It is this continual, like day after day. And when the day is done proclaiming God's glory, the night begins proclaiming God's glory. It just hands off. It doesn't stop. It just continues. Um, and And it's also one of those things I was thinking, like, do you ever get up in the morning and say, well, I wonder if the sun's gonna rise today? I wonder if the stars will be out tonight, right? We may say, I wonder if the stars will be out because there's cloud cover. Or we may not see the sunrise because there's cloud cover. But we know that the sun is there. And we know that the stars are there. It is a consistent thing. We can rely on it. We, we tell time by it. Um, and we, we can navigate by the stars. We don't do that as much as we used to. But that is something that... Before all of our modern communications equipment, that's how you got around the world, was with the stars. You could rely upon them. There was consistency there. And I think that's one of the, not only continuous, but consistency is what you see in that verse. Um, And I, I like how it says it pours out speech and it reveals knowledge, right? It is poured out. Once again, reemphasizing this is an obvious thing. It is plain. Um, it reveals knowledge. It's the creation cannot help but tell of God's glory. When you see these beautiful, amazing things, you have no doubt that there's, you cannot deny that there's a creator. You can choose to deny it, but you are denying it. Um, and it, this brought to mind in Luke chapter 19, verse 40. Um, sort of the context of this passage is on Palm Sunday Jesus is entering into Jerusalem and uh, it says his disciples are, are there and they're greeting him and they are shouting, you know, Hosanna and they are glorifying Christ as he comes in and the Pharisees, you know, tell, rebuke your disciples, tell them to be quiet right, you, you can't have them glorifying you and, and he says, I tell you, if these become silent the stones will cry out Right, so even if people do not glorify God, the creation does. The stones will cry out. The things which he has made will glorify him. I think that's part of the whose voice is not heard. Right, Even, even the creation which does not speak, there is still speech there, even though you don't hear it. Uh, in the verse 3 where it says there is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. And 
it was interesting looking through different translations, trying to, to understand just what was going on in this verse. But it's the New King James puts it, it says, There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. So I take from that, this is pointing to there are no people in all of the world, despite what language they speak, who do not pick this up. Um, there's no people group that does not see the glory of God on display. And I think we see the evidence of this. And as you go and if you study different world religions in the present and even in the past, you see so many that worship the stars, they worship heavenly bodies. They, they have looked up and seen and they have recognized, wow, there is something amazing here. There is something, there's a creator, right? But just seeing that is not enough to direct you to worship God rightly, but it is enough to point you that there is a God. And it's, that's another, you know, it doesn't require literal words. It's obvious to all people. Um, and that's the, whose voice is not heard. <clears throat> and I think verse 4, it says, Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. Sort of a reinforcing of the, the prior verses. Um, where the speech of the heavens reaches everywhere. It goes out. And it's, it's interesting to think, like, what's the farthest away place you can think of, right? Yeah, Antarctica, right? It's so far away, it's barren, it's desolate. Well, God's glory is on display there. Um, and even as you go to those far, so, uh, far, to the ends of the earth, to the poles, now you get some of the, like, aurora borealis, right? You get even more magnificent things than we see here. It's God's glory is on display there. And it says, In them he has set a tent for the sun at the end of verse 4. Like, so what's it mean that the sun is in a tent, right? Like, okay. But tent is also sort of synonymous in Old Testament language for tabernacle, which points to a dwelling place. If we look at the the tabernacle in the desert, God was dwelling there. So I gather from that that the sun, the dwelling place of the sun is in the sky. It It appears that the sun lives in the sky to us, right? As you look up and you see the sun traverse, that is its dwelling place. You're not going to catch it somewhere else kind of thing. But it says, 4 runs into 5. It says, In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Um, we don't have the same marriage rituals they had back then. We don't really have a chamber that the bridegroom is in and comes out. And, and we don't, we'll have a wedding ceremony and celebration, and it'll last most of a day. But typically, a wedding celebration then will last like five to seven days. It was a major event. And I sort of take from that, like, so when the bridegroom would come out of his chamber, you're like, okay, this thing is getting started, right? This is, the party is kicking off. The, the feast will begin now. Um, and it points, the bridegroom coming out points to something bigger. He points to the glory of the ceremony of what is about to happen. And in the same way, we have the sun, 
leaving its chamber, right? When it rises in the morning, it's a sunrise is a beautiful thing. We have beautiful sunsets here. I can see the lake from my house, and I really appreciate seeing the sun go down out there. But seeing the sunrise, you get so many of the similar colors and beautiful things. And the sunrise is a beautiful thing. And I think this is pointing towards even the sunrise points to the glory of God, right? You see that beauty. You see all the, all the different things that are happening. All the, when you study the physics of how light interacts, you realize there's a consistency there. We can rely upon it. Well, that is God has made it consistent, and he has done that to glorify him. And it talks about how a strong man runs his course, right? Like a strong man runs his course with joy. And it's interesting to think about, well, how does a strong man run his course? Right? You, you don't want to watch me run a race course because there's not a lot of joy in it. And it's not like a good display of like power and strength. I'm just not there. But if you go and watch a professional athlete, somebody who has focused their whole life on this, they can pour their strength into it, and it almost looks effortless, right? It is, it, it's, they can perform things which are beyond my capabilities to even think I could do, and they can do it and make it look easy, and they can do it with joy. Um, and that's what it's saying about the sun. So the sun rises and then it sets. And it does this with consistency, with strength. We can set our clocks to it, right? Um, before they had clocks, they had sundials. And a sundial works because the sun is consistent. Um, and it runs it with joy. There's power. There is... And in some of the commentaries I had read, he talked about like how much power the sun gives to the earth on a given day. And it's a crazy number. Um, he's tried to break it down to like, well, if you took Niagara Falls and you made it 20 times higher than it currently is, and you increased the volume of water some ridiculous amount, and then you made it stretch all the way, like halfway around the equator, then you're about the amount of energy the sun gives the earth in one day. right? Just the amazing power that's there. And yet, that is a created thing. If the sun is so powerful, how much more powerful is God? Verse 6 says, Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. So once again, we have a description, the rising and the setting of the sun. It, you know, in some of scripture, you get like, this is what it looks like. You know, we, we understand now the sun is actually out there and the earth rotates and it has, that's how sunrises and sunsets work. But it rises at the end of the heavens and its circuit is to the end of them. It covers the scope of the sky and there's nothing hidden from its heat. And like the, I was thinking, well, we were working on a roof this last week and there were times when it was sunny and there were times when it was shady. And I could definitely appreciate the shady time. Or when the tree was behind, a tree was between me and the sun. And I would get that little bit of uh, drops like 15 degrees or something like that. Like, there's nothing hidden from its heat, right? Even you go to the, to the far poles where it's cold. And even there you can appreciate the sun. The little bit of heat that you notice. There's a difference. There's nothing hidden from its heat. Um, it is far-reaching, it is far-affecting, and yet this thing that we, 
take for granted, right? So as we look in through all these these prior verses, one through six are where it's talking about the general revelation, the things that we see on a regular basis. Well, the thing about seeing something on a regular basis is you take it for granted often. You get, oh yeah, the stars are out tonight. Well, that's pretty. Okay, well, go back inside. Um, or, oh, look at that sunset. Yeah, I've seen that sunset a hundred times. Well, you know, but it is a thing of beauty. We don't always stop to appreciate it. We become used to it. Um, and it is intended to glorify God. It's intended to point us to Him. And so take some time and appreciate God's creation. Look up um, and be drawn to the Creator. Recognize that there is one who has made this. So into the next set of verses, now we transition to a special revelation, into specifically the scriptures. How can we truly know God? So the first six voices point us to God, that there is a creator, and these following verses point us to the specifics of who he is and how we can rightly know him and worship him. So verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. And you'll see as we go through all these verses, we have, there are synonyms that are used for scripture. Um, You have law in this verse. We have testimony in this verse. We have precepts, rules. These things all point to scripture. They're all different aspects of scripture, but it all points to, these are specific things that God has revealed to us. Um. And so when we talk about the law of the Lord is perfect, right? What would David call the law of the Lord? Well, he would point back to the law of Moses, right? And he says that law, it is perfect. It is without error. It is complete. It is without blemish. Um, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 tells us, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The law of the Lord is perfect. It is useful for all things. It is can be applied to life. So yes, in the law we have teaching. We have direction. We have instruction. Uh, we have rules for life. And the other interesting thing, as we go from the first six verses into the following, into you know seventh through the end, you may notice as you look at your Bible, and this depends on translation sometimes. But in the first six verses, it always says, verse one refers to the glory of God. And as you get into seven through the end, it now transitions to the Lord, and. In my ESV, it goes as far as putting in all caps, L-O-R-D, all in caps, which is the way that they show the personal name of God, Yahweh. And you'll even see this if you go back to Genesis chapters 1 and 2. You'll see in the very beginning of creation, it refers to God. And then as you go into where it starts getting into God's relationship with man, when you get into Adam and Eve, it now transitions to the Lord. And it's... You have this sort of 
the difference so that Scripture shows us like God as creator and then God as a personal God. Um, and we're getting when we get into Scripture, we get into God as personal God. And it talks about in verse seven there it says, or the law of the Lord is perfect, it says reviving the soul. And there's several things that you can draw out from this expression. Um, so through the scriptures we learn about Jesus, we learn about the Christ, we learn about the forgiveness of sins. Um, we learn how one can go from dead in their sins and trespasses to alive in Christ, being revived, being brought back to life. And they can only do that by the truth contained in Scripture. And there's also the idea that for believers, for those who know Christ, the Scriptures are soul food. They bring spiritual nourishment to our weary souls. In Matthew 4, verse 4, Jesus is quoting from Deuteronomy 8, but he says, Man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It is, scripture is to be, not only does it revive, bring us from dead in sin to life in Christ, but for the believer, it also is the thing that refreshes us. It is the thing that is meant to continue us um, when things get difficult. It is to be our encouragement. It is to be the reminder of the creator. Um, It goes on in the second half of verse 7, says the testimony of the Lord is true. And, and this testimony would be the scripture. This would be the thing that tells us about God. It, it testifies. It, it is giving an account. And it says it is sure. It is faithful. It is just. It is trustworthy. We can, we can believe it. And it says it makes wise the simple. Right, So when we talk about going from dead in sins to alive in Christ, there is a wisdom that is imparted there. Things that you didn't know before now make sense. Um, and we've, we've talked, pastor has talked in the past when he was teaching uh, Wednesday nights here for, during the Lenten season. He was talking about how a little child can often grasp the things of Scripture far better than us as adults. Um, their thinking hasn't gotten all jumbled up yet. They're, it's not. It's not disordered. They don't have a bunch of thoughts in there that are already like, well, but what about this thing? Like, okay, well, this is, this is clear. This is clear to a young child. The simple, right? We look at kids. Oh, you're so simple. You don't know a whole lot. You haven't studied much. Yet they can grasp wonderful things that we, we overlook that we cannot. In the verse 8, it says, The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. So that word precepts, we use that all the time nowadays, right? That's a common word in our English language. Not so much, right? So the thing that we would most associate, associate that with would be orders, or charges, or statutes, rules, right? These are the things that are, here's what you do. These are the rules. So the rules of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart. And I think about, so 
following God's rules for life leads to flourishing and to joy. God has set in place different rules within our world that if you follow those, things tend to go well with you. There's no guarantee that it's always going to be perfect or great, but the general way things work is that that is the best way, and it leads to joy. It is what is best for us. And the other side of that coin is there are natural consequences built in for disobeying the precepts of God. When you don't live life according to God's rules, generally things don't go well for you. It tends to be a much more difficult life. Things are harder. There are consequences built in. It does not always lead to joy. You may think you have joy, but it does not in the long term lead there. And that section, it says in the second half of verse 8, it says the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. So commandment would point to the divine orders, right? These are God's specific instructions, orders. And it says that they are pure, right? When something is pure, it is undefiled. It is not mixed in with other things. It is pure. It is good. Psalm 12, 6 says, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace on the earth, refined seven times. And it's interesting to think about purity in the days of David, especially in regards to like precious metals, like Psalm 12 talks about. We're pretty used to being like, oh yeah, gold, like it's, it's just pure gold, like that's what we think about. But getting like really pure gold then was not as easy as it is now. Things were harder. Um, it was more common for there to be impurities in it. And I think that's why it talks about you know, silver tried in the furnace on the earth refined seven times, right? The more you would refine it, the more pure it would become. And it says the word of God is pure. It is not polluted. There's not any bad things mixed in with it. And it says enlightening the eyes. And I like to think of that. It says without scripture we are in the dark. And it allows us to see ourselves and the world around us rightly. We can understand what's going on when viewing the world through the lens of Scripture. Um, Psalm 119, verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Scripture is the thing that is to guide us. It is to light the way um, to go before us. It leads us. In the verse 9 it says, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. So as I was trying to comprehend this verse, I was trying to like, so I, I know what the fear of the Lord is, right? I, I know it's holding God in high regard and high respect. Um, it's not necessarily like I'm so afraid of God that he could kill me at any moment. It is I understand God's position and I understand mind, and I have a fear of, the, of him that is in awe, it's reverence, it's respect. But as I was looking through some commentaries, somebody made the point of that, so the fear of the Lord, what does that lead to? Well, it leads to 
a true religion and a godliness in our hearts. And when it's put into practice, it helps us practice that appropriate fear of the Lord. So this idea of the fear of the Lord draws you to act appropriately with God, right? It is, it is clean. It draws you into good things. In Psalm 119, verse 9, it says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Right? How do you keep a pure life? You follow scripture. You, and even then, our ability to make our own life pure is, is pathetic. But if you desire to do that, you live according to scripture. And it says, it is enduring forever. And I was thinking about like, well, so the ceremonial law that we have given in the Old Testament has been passed away. Christ has fulfilled that. But the law concerning the fear of God and keeping his commands will never change. Right and wrong do not change with the passing of time. Our society and culture has a way of like, well, that's so like 100 years ago. Like, we don't do that anymore. Like, well... God's rules are consistent through time. They endure forever. They do not change because time has passed. They continue on. And it goes on, it says, The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. So we have, I was looking at that where it says the rules, and I was like, well, it already mentioned like commandments and precepts. And there was, I was reading a commentary, and it talked about, well, this is talking about the judgments, the judicial decisions, the just decrees, the rulings of the Lord. And it says they are true, right? They are right. They are perfect. When God gives a verdict, it is the correct verdict. When you are found guilty, it is because you are guilty. When he sees you as innocent, it's because he sees you as innocent. And you are only innocent through the blood of Christ. But his rules are perfect. And it says, and they are righteous altogether. And so there is no unrighteousness to be found in God. He is the very standard of righteousness. You will find nothing wrong in him. He is from where we draw that standard of what is right. And then we get into verse 10. It says, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. And we already, I already mentioned about the, the purity of gold and silver and being refined in a fire seven times. But it says, the, the scriptures are to be desired more than even gold, right? We are a very money-driven society these days, um, it's, it's how we function. And it says, Scripture, the Word of God, should be more valuable to you than even money is. And it says, even much fine gold. So even like the really, really good gold, well, His Word is still better. Um, it's the greatest treasure for those who love Him. It is to be our greatest pleasure. And I, I like to think, so money is fleeting, Right? We always, you can't take it with you when you go, right? It has no eternal value. Money after you are dead is doing you no good. Um, 
And yet, God's word is eternal. It goes on. It is the better thing. It is better than money. And in a similar way, it refers to sweeter than honey and drippings of the honeycomb, right? So even the pleasures of the senses, right? So the tasting delicious sweet things. Honey may not be our thing. Maybe it's a high fructose corn syrup. That's our, that's our sweetest thing. But honey was like for the king. Like that's the, that's the good stuff. Um, and once again, much like money, pleasures of the senses are temporary. They do not continue on after life. Only God word, God's word endures. It is the better thing. And so fix your eyes on eternal things, on what is the better thing. In verse 11, it says, Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. And I just come back to, you know, when it says your servant is warned, it's once again, it's pointing out these are God's rules for living. This is how you do this. Um, Follow this. It will go well for you. Um, God has designed our world to operate within his rules. When you follow his law, it generally goes well for you. And when you don't follow his law, things are difficult. Um, I, thinking back through the Old Testament and the history of Israel, and you see that so many, like, they prosper, they go into captivity, they come back, they prosper. It's just like this cycle. And you go back to Deuteronomy at the very end, and God gives them blessings and curses. And he says, if you do this, you will be blessed, and you will receive all these blessings. And he says, but if you do this, you'll receive curses. Here are the curses. And then you see that all played out over time. It's, Israel is a case study in these things. Um, it will go well for you or it will not go well for you. These are God's rules. You have been warned, right? In keeping them, there is great reward. You will receive good things. Life will be better for you. In verse 12, it says, Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. And my first inclination when I read that and it says, who can discern his errors, like, well, it's talking about God. Like, God has no errors, right? And that's my first inclination when I read that. But it, as I studied more into it, it became more apparent that it's talking about my own self. Who can discern his errors? And it was sort of put, I am aware of my sins better than anyone else. I know the things that I sin. I know the sins I commit. And yet there are sins that I commit that I don't even know about, things that I've overlooked. And yet God knows them. Only God knows the full extent of our lawbreaking. I know better than any of you the different sins that I deal with. And yet God knows even better than me all the sins that I have committed even the ones that I am not aware of. <clears throat> and that's it, where it goes on and says, Declare me innocent from hidden faults. 
He's asking for forgiveness of his sins. Even the things he's not aware of that he's done, he desires to be made right with God. And there's, as we go through this end here, this is sort of looking back a, re, a reflection on like who God is and who the author is. And thinking through this, the only one who, can, who has fulfilled these things who is blameless, who is innocent of great transgression, who has not committed any presumptuous sins. Christ is the only one who completes these things, who is blameless. Um, It paints a nice picture of who we are, who God is, and who we turn to to receive forgiveness. Um, Into verse 13, it says, Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. So presumptuous is another one of those words that is not in our vocabulary. We don't really use that a whole lot. Um, But it means intentional sins, willful sins, the sins that we enjoy, that we return to, um, it's like a pig returning to the mud after it got clean, right? That is what it is. This is my thing. Like, this is what I do. These are the sins that we just continue to commit over time. And David's saying, keep me back from doing that. Do not, I do not desire to be a habitual sinner. I do not want to be locked into this thing. And it goes on and says, let them not have dominion over me. Because that's what it comes down to, is you are a slave to those sins. You It has you captured. Um, It rules your life. Romans 6.12 says, Let not sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. And you make intentional decisions to fulfill your sinful desires. That's what he's talking about. Those things that we just, we feel like we don't have control over them. And he's saying, keep me back from it. And he says, then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. So the only one who has ever been blameless and innocent of great transgressions is Christ himself. It talks about, you know, this beginning of 13 says, keep back your servant. Well, Christ is the servant. He is the one who did not commit any presumptuous sins. We can be forgiven and take on the righteousness of Christ. And then we are seen as blameless and innocent of great transgression. And we stand before God clothed in Christ's righteousness because of that. But his desire, the author's desire, is to be kept away from those things. He recognizes that as a problem, and he doesn't want to continue on in that. Um <clears throat> When I talked in Psalm 139, at the very end, it talked about you know putting to death sin. And that's the, the picture here. Put this to death. Get out of enslavement. Do not live there. So into verse 14, the very last one. It says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And this has the appearance of almost being like a closing prayer on this 
this meditation, this observance that David has had, right? So he's, he's reflecting back on the things that have been said in this psalm. And he says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart. And I'm offering these things up to you, God. I am recognizing your power in creation. I'm recognizing the awesomeness of your word and how you've revealed that to us. Um, let these things that I have observed be acceptable in your sight. And he even says, let the words of my mouth. So it's not just simple thoughts. It's not even just reading someone else's words, but it's his words that he is actually speaking, and they're actually coming from his heart. This is from deep within. Um, it is not shallow. <clears throat> And then he talks about the meditation of his heart, right? So we're so used to, in our current culture, there seems to be this drive towards meditation, but it's more of an Eastern meditation, which is more of an emptying your mind um, and just letting yourself, you know, become one. Um, But that's not the meditation he's talking about here. He's talking about, let me sit and think upon the things of God. Let me digest them. Let me work them over. I will meditate upon them. They will be in my mind continually. Um, <clears throat> genuous, genuine religious affection is one way it was put. Uh, that which he dwells upon, it is deep down, it is inside. And he's asking for that to be acceptable in his sight. And he refers to, he says, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Right? So, the idea of the Lord as his rock. Um, if you turn back to chapter 18 of the Psalms, in the very opening of chapter 18 there, David talks about, he says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Yet this picture of God as this, this rock, and it's not like a little rock. It's like the big, immovable, impossible rock, the mountain that we look at. And you say, well, David's saying, if I hide in that rock, no one will find me because it's so amazing. It's so huge. The source of stability, right? When you, you build a foundation, we don't build with stones anymore, but they used to begin with a big, large cornerstone that established the building. Um, and Christ is David. The Lord is David's rock, um, his source of strength, his refuge. He knows that God is unchanging, unmovable. This is the picture of a rock that cannot be moved. It cannot be changed. It, it is the same day after day. And I like, and he closes the last word, their last phrase is, my redeemer. It points to having been redeemed. And when you redeem something, you are buying it back right you go you take all your we live in new york you take all your bottles and cans that you got from the store and you take them back and you redeem them right you paid a nickel to get that and then you take it back and you redeem your nickel you you get it back this idea of he's been bought at a price there is a price that is paid to be redeemed and so Looking through that, it brought to mind that passage in Romans um, that I looked at for our scripture reading. 
turn there. Where it talks about, you know, for what can be known about God is plain. Right? That's what we saw in the first half of the the psalm. Um, His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse, right? We witness all these things around us. We have no excuse. Um, He has revealed himself in the natural world that he has created. And like I was saying earlier, because you see that there are things that have been created, that points to there being a creator. And once again, it points to you have so many religions that worship the stars. They worship the sun. They worship idols of animals or objects that look like men. But they do not worship God, right? But they recognize that there is something greater out there. They can see it. It is plain to them. Their worship is misplaced. But we are not left there. We are not left with just a general revelation. We are not left with just the stars in the sky to try to figure out who this God is, right? He has come down and told us. We have it. We have it in the scriptures. Um, God has revealed himself there. And in those scriptures, it tells us that there's only one who has ever fulfilled the second half of the Psalms, right? It talked about the law is good, the precepts are good. Well, when you get down to it, we've all broken those laws. We've all broken those precepts. Maybe you haven't broken every single one of them, but you've broken at least one of them at minimum, right? And I guarantee you can come up with more if we sit and think about it. But Christ is the only one who kept that perfectly, Right, He has no errors, there are no hidden faults, he's without sin, and he has dominion over all things. He's blameless, he's innocent. Um, and so then in reflecting upon this, if we, those of us who already know Christ, this psalm draws us, should draw us closer to God in an appreciation of his creation, and it should also draw us closer to an appreciation of Scripture and what has been revealed to us that God has given us that special revelation. And then even in those the last verses where it talks about it being desired more than gold, much fine gold, sweeter than honey, right? Is God's word more important to you than money? Are, are we striving to get to that place where we recognize the supreme importance of Scripture? Um, are these verses true in your life? Do you feel these things about Scripture? Uh, do you do you actually believe that the word of the, the law of the Lord is perfect? Right? Are we are we working to understand these things and to internalize them? Um, and then I would say, if you you don't know the Lord, if you don't understand Christ in salvation then I challenge you to read the scriptures to, to find out who is this Christ who has been revealed, who has made a way for me to be right with God. Um, and turn to Christ. 
um, to, to go the only way that can put you in a right relationship with God who has created everything we see that draws us to him through those things. Thank you. I'll, I'll pray. Help to close with a prayer. Dear Lord, I, I thank you for your word and I thank you for your creation and revealing yourself to us. Uh, and ultimately, I thank you for your son who has allowed us to be in a right relationship with you, Lord. Um, thank you that you have loved us enough to do that. Uh, I pray that we would come to love your Lord, to love your word, and to cherish it, value it highly, um, that we would love Christ above all. In Jesus' name, amen. amazing God revealed us to himself to us through call of creation and we take great joy in seeing that and then he opens his word to us he gives us his own words so that we might know him and he can reveal to us more about himself and then in doing that he sends his son to reveal who he really is by fulfilling his word and paying the price for our sin we who are unholy are made holy because of the work of Christ. That's an amazing work. And that's something we ought to always think about. And if you catch the drift through the creation that there is a God, then search further. If you don't know the one true God through Jesus Christ, then you need to know him. And you need to realize what he's done for you. Those of us who know him need to hide more of that word in our hearts. So let's stand. We're just going to sing the first and third verse. Uh, of hymn number 595 thy word have I hidden my heart thy word is a lamp to my feet a light to my path alway to guide and to save me from sin and show me the heavenly way. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. That I might not sin, that I might not sin. Thy word have I hid in my heart. At morning, at noon, and at night, I ever will give Thee praise. For Thou art my portion, O Lord, and shall be through all my days. Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against Thee that I might not sin, that I might not sin, thy word have I hid in my heart. Lord, we praise you. We praise you for your creation and the joy we have in seeing it and, and recognizing, especially after we know you, how it reveals your glory in a much fuller way to us. To just have great joy in one who can create such amazing creation. Lord, we're grateful that you created us 
and that you saw fit to reveal that creation and then through your word teach us uh, how we fell short and how we needed a savior and then provided that savior we're so grateful for that provision through jesus christ help us to be so aware of that and so aware of your holiness that we realize the only way we could have ever been in your presence was because of jesus christ thank you for that help us to always be humbled recognizing that you had to pay the price for our sin that we might have a relationship with you thank you for the love that caused that thank you for bringing us together to enjoy your word to enjoy praising you and then as we leave to enjoy rejoicing all the way and we'll praise you for it in christ's name amen